Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back. Second hour of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. I'm Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski, alongside in our 6th and Peabody studios with our great partners at Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Jonathan Hunt will be back with us on Monday. Speaking of the Outkick Network, big thanks to all of our radio affiliates. If you're listening to the show, we, uh, we appreciate you. We thank you. Also, the Outkick Network includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Outkick.com. It's that simple. Go to OutKick.com. I'm there right now. Top right of the page, there is a live link to OutKick 360. We're on every day, 3 to 6 Eastern Time, 2 to 5 Central. So now you can go to OutKick.com and uh, find us there as well. So we love that. We want to be wherever you are, and that is the goal of OutKick 360. And that, those are all the places you can find us right now as our radio network continues to grow as well. Someone who knows a thing or two about radio is Aaron Torres. He is with... Fox Sports Radio and does a great job there. Great Twitter follow also. And Aaron is on with us right now. Aaron, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. I think I have my days on Twitter like everybody else. Sometimes I'm a little off the rails, but uh, for the most part, I just like to have fun like everybody else. How are you guys doing today? Well, you know, uh, Mark Stoops clearly likes to have fun also uh, at Kentucky. Uh, what, What a back and forth it's been. And also it highlights, I had Buddy sending me things that Mark Stoops has liked recently that's kind of taking down <laughs> Kentucky basketball and comparing Kentucky football to them. Clearly a shot at Kentucky basketball when he says four straight postseason wins for Kentucky football. Um, what do you think about this game that Mark Stoops is playing, but also the comments from John Calipari that, that kind of started all of this saying that we're not a football school, we're a basketball school at Kentucky? Yeah, you know, it was one of those, like, I know, like, we all want to have, like, a big, strong, crazy, huge opinion on every single topic. Like, it was one I actually, I saw, like, both sides. Um, You know, just knowing some people down kind of in the Kentucky kind of ecosystem space. uh, I, like, Cal has, you know, it's, it's pretty well known in Kentucky. Like, Cal has put some stuff on the back burner to kind of help some of the other programs. Um, But you also just can't just, like, call out the football program like that. Um, and I don't think he did it intentionally or as a dig, but I also understand Mark Stoops' perspective. I mean, that's obviously the, the, the basketball school football is a second class citizen at our school. That's probably a narrative that Mark Stoops has been fighting literally since the day he took the job. And so I think his kind of point was like, you know, it's one thing if Kirby Smart says that or Josh Heupel says that or Shane Beamer says that. Uh, but when my own basketball coach is kind of, uh, you know, kind of deriding me a little bit, you know, give me a little pat on the head for winning 10 games. Uh, that's not really the energy that I need right now for the football program. So I'll be honest. I mean, I, I was a little surprised that he, he went that hard, uh, but he was clearly upset. Uh, his assistant coaches had his back. 
uh, you go on and on. Uh, the players, some of them were tweeting former players. You could tell it definitely rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, and it, it opened the door for some other programs to troll Kentucky a bit. I know Tennessee posted sure. something about, hey, we, we like all of our sports here. We're in every sports school uh, with a video of their basketball championship, their baseball championship. Other schools jumped in also. I know Brian Harson put something up there. Let, let's talk a little Brian bit Harsin. about Kentucky Brian football. Brian you got no support, man. You got yeah, it. that's true. You, you, I don't, anyway, but anyway, but anyway, I didn't even see Brian Harson. I saw the actually I saw the Arkansas AD put up a picture of all his coaches hanging out, but I did not see Brian Harson. He's like, finally, somebody's off my back for ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. he and I Bruce Pearl. He and Bruce Pearl, tight. Yeah, him and Bruce Pearl uh, posted something where their arms are locked around each other and how much they love each other and support the other program. Uh, Brian Harson also probably, let's face it, petitioning for his next job uh, because I'm sure he's trying to get sure. out of Auburn after what happened last year. He'd hope for nothing more than a good season where he could bolt. Um, let's talk about Kentucky football, though, and just where this program is right now, Aaron. Mark Stoops has done a great job, and it's proof of if you give a guy a long enough, uh, a long enough tenure at a place like Kentucky that historically has not been a football power – good things can happen on the back end of it. What do you think about where he has this program right now and their potential this season? Well, I think that's part of it too. Uh, part of yesterday's back and forth that I didn't even mention is, you know, Cal said something to the effect of, uh, you know, trust me, I want them to win 10 games and go to a bowl game like everybody else. Uh, and, and I think that was probably part of where Mark Stoops was a little bit frustrated too, is like uh, we've, it, it felt and. I don't think that Cal felt uh, intended it this way, but I think that Cal kind of uh, Mark Stoops, I mean, intended it as the, the big bad basketball coach is giving the little football coach a pat on the head for going to a bowl game. Yep. And I think Mark Stoops, you know, yeah, whether, whether it's realistic or not for Kentucky to ever uh, get past uh, Georgia, certainly. And, and, you know, maybe Tennessee, depending on how things go, Florida, depending on Billy Napier, whether it's realistic for them to ever get to Atlanta or not, I don't know. Um, but I think that they think that they are a program that can someday get there. And so, again, I think it speaks a little bit to, um, you know, a little bit to the comments from yesterday. But in terms of the bigger picture, what I would say is, yeah, I mean, I, I think all of us that love college football kind of realize this is one of the best building jobs that, that we've seen in college football. Uh, to your point, Chad, just like like the, you know, sort of credit to Kentucky's administration for the patience that they showed. I think, you know, Mark Stoops has to get some credit, not just for the wins and losses, but going in with a game plan, right? I mean, he was the guy that was like, you know, early on, uh, you know, would go up to Ohio and he obviously had a ton of ties there, but went up to Ohio and said, rather than playing in the, the slow, boring Big Ten, uh, if you don't get that Ohio State offer, come down here and compete against the best teams in college football. So he had a game plan. The school gave him time. Um, I, I do think it's kind of a I, I think it's kind of a, a situation where, you know, perfect storms a little bit overstated, but the school gave him time. He had a game plan. He had time to implement it. Obviously, he had a few nice breaks along the way. Now, obviously, they enter a season that I think you could argue probably the most excitement around Kentucky football that I can ever remember, uh, certainly since I've been following the sport. Greg Sankey wants a fresh look at the NCAA basketball tournament. How much does this scare you that the one product that is <laughs> actually good as it is, that they haven't screwed up, they want to get in and screw up? Well, I mean, you just took the words right out of my mouth, man. You know, listen, um, I, I, you know, I think there's a, 
I don't know if power struggle is the right word for what's going on in college sports right now, but I think there is a separation between um, the people. And listen, I get Greg Sankey's job, Kevin Warren's job is to make the, the, the single most dollars that they can possibly make for their institutions. You know, the SEC was 16 with Greg Sankey, 16 for Kevin Warren. I think there's a separation between making the most possible money that you can um, and what's at what at what point do you cross that line of demarcation between, OK, we can squeeze a few more dollars out of this, but it's going to hurt the product. Obviously, I think from the college football side, uh, you know, we, we've I think seen it in realignment. I don't think it's better for college football to have USC and UCLA flying 3000 miles across the country to play not just football, but all their other sports. And I think it has a trickle down effect to, to this report, if you want to call it that. I think it's a little stronger than a report uh, since Greg Sankey is quoted in it uh, with the basketball tournament. Is like It's like you said, this is a perfect sporting event. We all love it. We tune in. The ratings were through the roof. Uh, I don't have the numbers here off the top of my head, but what was it like? You know, I think three or four of the games outrated any NBA Finals game or all but one NBA Finals game. Obviously, with the advent of sports betting, people are, are more into it. We have our brackets. Like, we don't need to screw it up. And the one thing that I'll continue to say, I know Greg Sankey made the analogy of, oh, you know, Ole Miss baseball was the last team and then they won the College World Series. I, I can't speak to how improbable that was from a college baseball perspective. That's not my area of expertise. What I can tell you, though, is what is it? Since 2007, there's been 15, 16 champions crowned. Obviously, there was one year there was no tournament. 13 or 14 of them were one seeds. One was a two seed. And the other two were my, you know, I'm a UConn alum, UConn with the best player in the tournament each year. So we have a pretty, like pretty clear track record. If you're not a top five team or have the best player in the tournament, you're not winning that thing. Now, can you get to a final four? Can you get to maybe even a title game like Butler? That's a different conversation, but we have no tangible data that says that there are teams that can legitimately win this tournament that are being left out. And we all know who those teams are going to be. It's going to be the the 11th place team in the SEC or the 13th place team in the Big Ten. And I think even fans of those schools don't want to see those teams in an NCAA tournament setting. Aaron, how big of a blow is it to Big Ten basketball to not be affiliated with ESPN for the first time in a long time? It's a great, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the Big Ten the brand is so strong that I, I don't know, maybe from basketball, it's a good point, Chad, maybe, maybe a little bit different from the basketball perspective as opposed to football. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, fo- I, football, I think, Aaron, I like where they are because it's a very NFL-type model where they're getting yes. all the networks involved in it. Um, it's tough to have many issues with what they've done on the football side. I think the other sports, basketball being paramount, that's the one I look at and think, man, that's – where are all these games going to go, and are they going to matter as much when you don't have the 24-7 hype cycle around every event and every game like you have provided to you with ESPN? Well, it's really interesting because I, you know, I had always – so, again, I, I went to UConn last two or three years. UConn has been back in the Big East, and I always kind of push back on the whole narrative of if you're not on ESPN, they don't talk about you. Now, again, football is different than the non, you know, non-football sports – but I felt like this past year in college basketball, that was the first time that I saw it where, uh, you know, Villanova obviously is just an entity unto itself, but Providence won the, the Big East regular season title. You would never hear about them on ESPN, on SportsCenter. You'd never see their highlights. You'd see unranked teams. You'd see highlights in February, uh, but you wouldn't see Providence. UConn uh, is another one. Um, 
Seton Hall. I can't remember all the teams that were good this past year, but the, it struck me this year is like there are really good teams that are just legitimately not getting any exposure uh, in the Big East this past year. And so I think it could I think it could have a trickle down effect. Now, what does it actually mean for tournament bids, tournament seating? I don't know. But I will say, you know, I think we all have some, you know, trepidation, if you will, about certain things that ESPN does. But they are a great hype machine, especially in the college sports space. So I'll be honest, it's something I hadn't really thought about from the Big Ten non-football perspective. But it is a good point by you, Chad. I hadn't really considered it. And UConn's the best test case there. They're down the street. They're all fans of that program. I worked there there for nine years and visited annually. Uh, If they're not covering UConn, it's against their own will, really. So uh, that that tells you how strong it is. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, trying to get into like a deep dive here, but I mean, I, I know that like women's basketball is even less mainstream than men's college basketball, but obviously you have the, I hate to say it in Tennessee, but you know, the preeminent women's basketball program in America, as you said, Paul, right down the street. So um, I'm with you. Uh, and and it's, it's something I really, I, I thought it was one of those narratives that was a little bit overblown, but I thought you really saw it this past year where, Again, I forget who and what and what all the rankings were, but there was two, three, four teams pretty consistently all year in the top 25 from the Big East, and you barely ever heard from them on ESPN. So uh, Barrett Salee, who's been on this show before, ah! he, he had his love ranking, and, and, both of, and he does a great job. I, I love Barrett, too. But both of us had a comment on his ranking. We're going to show it to our viewers right now. He ranked the SEC coaches ranked by who would win a fight. I'm going to quickly go through his list, 1 through 14. Number one, Brian Harson of Auburn. Okay, very in-shape guy. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, also same thing. Number two, Mark Stoops, three. Kirby Smart, four. Billy Napier at five. Shane Beamer, six. Sam Pittman, seven. Lane Kiffin, eight. He's already started to lose me a bit, but he really loses me now. Eli Drinkwitz at nine. Josh Heupel, 10. Jimbo Fisher, 11. 12 is Nick Saban. 13, Brian Kelly. 14, Mike Leach. Jimbo I think Fisher's he, too low. I think that he nails the final three. I think that's the perfect order for the last three. Saban, Kelly, Leach. But Eli Drinkwitz ranked ahead of Josh Heupel. And Jimbo Fisher. Who is a six foot two, 265-pound, former Heisman Trophy runner-up. Really stuck out to me, Aaron. I know you had a, a complaint about the list also. What, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, first of all, you guys probably covered Lane Kiffin. He doesn't strike me as much of a fighter. Uh, I'm the same uh, way. I thought he was way too high on the list when I saw Kiffin up at number eight. He is he is a lover, not a fighter. That's for sure. Well, well, so has been reported in a lot of different places. <laughs> yes. um, and, and, and Drink, you know, so Eli Drinkwitz, you know, I, I, there's just something. I mean, it feels like – and it feels like there's very little that unites SEC fans, you know, maybe – Bashing Calipari yesterday was one of those things. I don't feel like anybody like no, like like you know you can you know you can dislike say Jimbo Fisher, but hey, there's there's some redeeming something there. You know, same with whoever fill in the blank. I just feel like everybody just not only do they not like him, like like every time he talks, it's just you know I don't know. He's just a uh, Drinkowitz. This is is just a weird dude, weird vibes, weird energy, little bit of a nerd. I definitely think pretty much anyone below him on that list would 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 push him into a locker. To be perfectly honest, I think Jimbo Fisher shoves that guy into a locker, no problem. Uh, I don't remember where everybody else was ranked, but that was one. I mean, 
Uh, he just, you know, Lane Kiffin may be a lover if he's not a fighter, but at least he's a lover. Drake is just, uh, I mean, I don't even know what he would be, what he would quantify as. I, I do know that I'm pretty sure that if it came down to it, uh, all other 13 SEC coaches could shove that guy into the locker if they had to. And I think many of them want to, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, I With was that shocked. Lightsaber. And I, I, I think Barrett's normally got great takes on everything. I was shocked to not see him in the bottom three or four in the conference, mm-hmm. like at, at best in the bottom four. But ranked ahead of Josh Heupel and other uh, that that just absolutely uh, blew me away but gave us something to talk about also which which yeah. we always uh, always appreciate Aaron Torres always has a lot to talk about great follow on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres with Fox Sports Radio Aaron thanks so much man really appreciate it the yeah, time it was fun. Today. Nope. awesome fellas thank you have a great afternoon thank you we need to now rank uh, you know sports tv radio people uh and a list of fight could could win a fight i thought lane kiffin too yeah lane kiffin does not strike me while he's gotten in much better shape the last two years just doesn't strike me as a guy who wants to fight anyone or would fight i think jimbo fisher's pretty intense guy yeah who could get angry and win on anger right like if you're gonna rank mark stoops i think it was third on the list then I think Jimbo Fisher has to be right there with my. Yeah, Stoops is I on anger. I think Stoops and Fisher the same way. Yeah, they'd win on anger. One's from Youngstown, Ohio. The other one's from West Virginia. They're both about the same size. They both get very angry and animated. So I'd see both being good fighters and being up on the list. But I thought Jimbo was a little low. I'm, I'm with you on that, Paul. Um, we're going to continue our NFL preview. we got a great rest of the hour coming your way. We're going to talk... Some Titans-Ravens preseason later in the hour, specifically quarterback with Malik Willis getting extended playing time last night. We'll discuss that game a little bit later, but when we come back, our NFL preview continues with the Bears and the Lions as we go into the NFC North. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We're back on Outkick 360. Chad Withrow, Paul Kuharski with you. We'll talk a little Titans-Ravens uh, preseason coming up later in the show. Malik Willis, the rookie out of Liberty specifically in his performance in last night's game. 
But right now, we're going to continue with our NFL preview as we roll through every team across the league. We're going to the NFC North now. And we begin with a team we've talked a lot about and not in good terms, the Chicago Bears going into this season. My least favorite. Yeah, of course, they've hired Matt Eberflus, who is a defensive guy coming over from the Colts. Key losses, there are a number of them. Of course, their previous head coach, Allen Robinson, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, James Daniels. Uh, What they brought in, Byron Pringle at receiver, probably a number two option for them. Um, They like like Daryl Mooney at receiver. Paul, I, I look at this Bears team. Offensive coordinator to me is the key spot. You know, Eberflus is going to be over defense. He's a defensive head coach. Luke Getze coming over from the Packers, their quarterback coach. He is bringing what he describes as a quarterback-driven offense. So if Justin Fields is what they thought he was when they drafted him, and you can pair him with a guy who's going to develop an offense for him, that's a step in the right direction. But I still look at what they have on offense. Is Nikhil Harry going to be anything? No, and he's hurt. Coming man. over, he's hurt. Uh, Valus Jones Jr., you know, later in the draft, is a guy I think has got some ability from Tennessee and the type of player they need in that offense. Is he going to be able to be a surprise right out of the gates? I don't know. Cole Komet is a reliable option at tight end. Overrated. Boy, Paul, there are, there are a lot of roster holes with this Bears There's team. There's a bad roster. And look, you, you, dynamic receivers abound in the NFL, and these guys have Darnell Mooney, who actually played well without Allen Robinson last year. He caught 81 of 104 targets, over 1,000 yards, four touchdowns, not a great number. He's not great at contested catches. The other two are Byron Pringle, who, who comes from Kansas City where he wasn't high-ranking, and Equinemius St. Brown uh, from the Packers. This is not a good group. Uh, Jones maybe, you know, emerges, but he, he's young. They, we've talked repeatedly how they failed to surround their young quarterback in Justin Fields the way so many teams have done. They bring in a defensive head coach, and he goes after defense. But you know who their biggest free agent was? A defensive tackle named Justin Jones, who they gave $6 million to. Their top two draft picks, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, defensive backs. Their top free agent on offense was Byron Pringle. This this team didn't fortify anything, and it let people like Allen Robinson walk. So, Jamison Williams, uh, DJ Chark, you know, could be big additions. DJ Chark never really panned out the way he should have in Jacksonville, so there's a bit of a flyer. Aiden Hutchinson, hometown hero, kind of. That's exciting. But really what you're talking about here is what you were talking about earlier with uh, with Carp, with Bobby Carpenter, is, yep. is the Dan Campbell storyline, the energy that the coach is bringing. Well, that only carries me for so long. You know the best thing about – I just shifted teams because I'm looking at Detroit up there and I'm t- I started talking <laughs> about Detroit. Sorry. The, the Aberflus has to win people over here starting with defense. And, and their defense up the middle didn't even get that much better. Well, and it's – the roster has so many holes. It, it's almost like they just admitted – it's what Seattle won't admit yeah, when they try to sell that they've got a good quarterback situation, that this is a long-term rebuild. 
and they are fine not being competitive again this year with the lack of anything done. They just lost this offseason from last year's team that wasn't very good. They've not done much to help Justin Fields. So my hope for Justin Fields that if they're going to do that and not bring in anything to really help their young quarterback, then they at least give him the benefit of, hey, you're the guy in the long-term rebuild. Right, we acknowledge that there's not a lot of help around you right now. They've got a ton of cap room going into next year, with whatever happens this year, which is probably going to be a high draft pick, and they've got a lot of wiggle room in the salary cap in 2023 that they could go out and bring in. They could pay a lot of money for guys to come in next year, but this looks like a team that won't even be competitive until 2023 at the earliest. Braxton Jones, a fifth round pick is their top left tackle right now. So, uh, you know, you got to keep this guy upright as well. They've got some talent on that offensive line, but he's going to be running around Justin Fields to, to protect himself. I, I don't like them at all. I don't think that they've got any pizzazz to them. Um, and I feel like there's just a dark cloud over this team when so many teams with young quarterbacks are doing so much to enhance their chances. I don't feel like they've done a lot. It's not going to be easy to start the season either. They host San Francisco to open the season. Then they go to Green Bay on Sunday Night Football in, in week two. They're on TV too much. They're uh, on oh, primetime TV yeah. too much. Well, they get the primetime game in, in week two. Then they get Houston at home. They go to play the Giants and then at Minnesota, and then Washington at home. So the schedule Houston, evens the out Giants, a bit. Houston, the Washington, that's nice Yeah, for them, after the start, but still, it's uh, it's going to be a tough road for Chicago, which is not that talented. I have the least interest in watching them of any team in the league. Justin Fields be damned. So our next team on the list, the Detroit Lions. This is a team, Paul, that I can at least see what now they're trying to do. Now I can look at this graphic. There you go. Now, now it's time to look at the, the graphic, and it works now. 3-13-1 a year ago in 2021. Paul, look at this Lions roster, and I think, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. Jared Goff is still a hole at quarterback, I believe. He's only 27 years old, by the way. Feels like he's been around a lot longer than that. He's much older. 27 years old. Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick. Hometown kid. Um, Jamison Williams, I believe, is going to be a stud. He's not going to be ready to play until October, probably at the earliest. He had a January ACL tear. Um, Jalen Rees-Maven out, Anthony Lynn out as offensive coordinator. But looking at this Lions team and watching them on hard knocks, which is highly entertaining if you haven't watched it, Paul, I feel like you can see the path for them to make something happen. DeAndre Swift is a playmaker running back. TJ Hawkinson, a very good tight end. They're not there yet, obviously. But it looks like a team that, unlike the Bears, they're going to win two, two, three, four more games than they did a year ago. Well, I think they've got some guys who kind of take on the coach's identity and start to spread the message now. You mentioned Hawkinson, Penny Sewell, um, who was a, a big draft pick for them last year, sets the tone for that offensive line, right? Uh, Jamison Williams, once he's around, can – um, and then on, on the defensive side, uh, they've got some guys, and Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the poster boy for, for that team. So uh, there's a, a spine there, but Jared Goff is not part of that spine. Jared Goff threw 25.2% of his passes beyond 10 yards last year, the lowest in the league. This is not a Detroit team that plays outside. 
They play in Ford Field, a lovely indoor stadium that I've visited. That is terrible. 70% red zone touchdown allowed last year. They've got to fortify that, and they've got a weak interior defensive line. They've got a lot of work to do. You know who loves the Lions outside of people who are into the Dan Campbell thing, which I'm not. Maybe it'll change as I watch uh, catch up on hard knocks. Betters. And that's where some of the Lion love is coming from. 17 games, all 17 games last year, Chad, they were a dog, and they went 11-6 and six as a dog against the spread. Well, they had six losses, so six of their 13 losses were by a touchdown or less. So that leads into them covering the spread a lot a year ago. Uh, I, li- I like where they're headed. We're going to get into, I believe, Monday we're going to get into the Packers uh, and the Vikings in this division. But I feel like this division's pretty clearly slotted in terms of where people are going to finish. With a minor question mark about Minnesota and Detroit for second, are the Lions in position to contend for second place behind the Packers in this division would be my one question. I think the Bears are squarely last. As crazy as that might sound with the Lions' recent history – I think they're better than the Bears, and they're going to finish ahead of them in the division. This would be a really fun conversation if we each came in and we ranked the divisions as to how predictable a division finish there is. And I I think you're on to something here. I think it's one of the more predictable this divisions. This is a very predictable division. I would bet on Packers, Vikings, Lions, Bears in that order. I feel very confident in that. Yeah, me too. I, I – Going back to the Bears also, for Justin Fields, how do you even define success this season other than just making it through the year and not looking completely inept? Like getting out alive with his offensive line, with a lack of weapons. Like What I want to see is Luke Getze at least designing something that looks like it would work for Justin Fields, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... And I don't even know what that looks like statistically or from a win-loss perspective for the Bears, but I want to see at the end of the year and, and, and think, man, they brought in Luke Getze. He's got a plan, and it is driven around the quarterback. And the quarterback at least looked like this is something he could manage if he had better talent around him. And, and sticking with the offensive coordinator in Detroit, uh, Anthony Lynn was really bad last year, really bad. Dan Campbell took over for him late. Uh, and made a lot of changes, some of which were odd. They went really run-heavy on third down, not that they were in third and short, um, but Anthony Lynn did not do a good job. Um, he got play calling taken away from him, and Ben Johnson is the offensive coordinator there now. I don't know how much of a resume he has. I don't know much about him, but clearly a lot needs to change from what Anthony Lynn was failing at last year where he got it taken away by his head coach. So I'm watching Dan Campbell do the up-downs with the team to start a practice. I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> Never have been with the coach, like doing all the drills you know, with the players. But typically, it's the position coach in college. I've always laughed at the young wide receiver coach in college that puts the gloves on and goes to the jugs machine with the players and running routes out there with them. I think that's a little bit overblown when that happens uh, there's something about Campbell doing it that I'm, I don't have as big of an issue with it but you'll see this when you watch Hard Knocks Paul the funny thing about it is he says that he injured his wrist falling at home 
And that as he started, as he agreed to do the up-downs, he realized, I don't know if I can do these because my wrist hurts so bad. So he's taping his wrist afterward because it's such an old man thing. He fell at home and couldn't do the up-downs, but he said he was going to do it, and he tried to do it anyways and fought through it, and his wrist was even worse off in the end. Yeah, I don't need to see coaches do it. Sean Jefferson, whose son Van Jefferson is, is with the Rams now and who was a pretty good NFL receiver, he did it one day when he was a Titans assistant coach. I don't know if he's on the Miami staff any longer. Um, he put on cleats, and he, they talked about it for a long time, and the receivers were egging him on, egging him on. He got knocked on his ass in like three minutes. And then he's a laughing stock. And uh, do, you, do your guys lose some respect for you? I don't know, but it doesn't help. It's, it, we need to make this a poll question. Do you, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you not care? You know, when your coach does it, it doesn't really matter to you one way or the other. My initial reaction to it every time I see it is you don't need that. Like, especially from the head coach, you don't need that from the head coach necessarily. Position coach are going to get in there and work a drill and show hand placement. That's coaching, all of that. But, like, doing the calisthenics with the team, you know, in line, in formation with the team as the head coach – I don't know. Player, I, don't, I don't think it's warranted. Players are expected to say all the time, coaches coach and players play. So I could see entirely players say, uh, you know, flipping it. Yeah. You know, coaches coach and players play. So why is the coach playing? It's, it's, it's annoying. It's embarrassing. Stay as, as Tajay Sharp, one of my favorite the, middling Titans receivers. The philosopher said, Tajay Sharp. Let's quote him. Stay in your lane. That's right. He is the Keats of, uh, he of said NFL this, receivers. He said this right before he, he bought time at some recording studio and rapped because he was a well-known rapper staying in his lane while he's a wide receiver in the NFL. Long known as the Henry David Thoreau <laughs> of the Titans wide receiver room, Tajay Sharp. Stay in your lane. Uh, Titans played a game last night against the Ravens, and a lot of the talk, not just here in Nashville, but across the league, people wanted to see Malik Willis because – he was a guy many thought in the process leading up to the draft could be a high first-round pick. He fell to the third round of the Titans. He got extensive playing time last night. We'll talk about Malik Willis's performance and what we saw between the Titans and the Ravens. When we return, this is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the Titans lose in Baltimore to the Ravens last night. I'm not going to say the final score because it really does not matter. None of these final scores matter in preseason in the NFL. It's all about rookies, guys trying to make the roster, players to watch. And Paul, in this game for the Titans, and, and really across the league last night, I feel like Malik Willis was the guy to watch. He got extensive playing time, and it's kind of a mixed bag we're left with with his performance. What were your thoughts? Well, Ryan Tannehill's got nothing to worry about, uh, early indications are. Not that we thought he had anything to worry about. Malik Willis really made three plays, right? He scored a seven-yard touchdown where he started to boot right, 
saw two guys reversed course saw hey i could get into the end zone here pretty easily at the left pylon did so his his helmet kind of got knocked into a funny position and he for some reason walked around with it off kilter for some time without adjusting the chin strap which i thought was weird Uh, another play through what was a 48 yard very nice ball to racy mcmath now it was a very good throw but it wasn't a pinpoint. It didn't have to be a pinpoint throw because for some reason the cornerback that was following Racy McMath for Baltimore decided to cut. He perfectly covered the area between Racy McMath deep and the underneath receiver below him. So if Racy McMath was on one yard line and this other wide receiver was on another yard line, this guy split the difference and covered the area in between. In a very bad defensive play. It was also an odd-looking play because Racy McMath kind of caught it. and It was almost like it surprised him that he was so open and caught it and just sort of hit the deck. Left his, his feet momentum and was slid. going, and I'm thinking, you really didn't have to slide. You probably yeah. could have cut it up a little bit. He wouldn't have scored a touchdown or anything, but it's almost like him being that open and the, the way the defensive back played him shocked him even on the play. The thing about a guy – Doing something like that on a deep ball always is a little bit of uncertainty about his hands. When a guy unnecessarily jumps or slides or something like that, it usually is a a tell that he's not as confident as he should be about his ability to haul it in. Then he had another nice rollout where he had an inside linebacker coming directly at him, and he really lowered his arm and threw a sidearm pass to complete a ball to Tommy Hudson who I think then got hurt as he carried the ball out of bounds on a, on a crossing route. So those were three-plus plays. But um, they weren't intending to play him in the second half. They played him into the second half because they wanted to see him throw it more, and then he got pulled in the middle of a series because of his reluctance to throw the ball. This is not a good sign for Malik Willis. Look, it's early He's got a lot of time, all of that. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's not going to get down, all of that stuff. But the play before he got pulled, he had Des Fitzpatrick open, if you were watching it, at the bottom of the screen to his right. And then he had Traylon Burks, who didn't have a catch, uh, dragging across the middle of the field, both wide open. And he did not throw the ball. He had a reluctance to throw the ball. He's counting on his feet too much. He said as much after the game. I thought it was very odd. Here's that play, if you're watching. First receiver was open open. at the bottom, and then Burks coming across the middle. Didn't throw it to either. And Vrabel, I think that was the straw that broke his back. He said after the game, when he was asked why he took him out in the middle, he said, because I wanted him to throw throw it, and he wouldn't. So I put in Logan, Logan Woodside. Now, Logan Woodside, to me, he just gets off scot-free here. I mean, his knowledge of the playbook Puts him in position to make crap throws more than anybody I've, I've been around. Um, he had a bad night. The two, I two picks. The first pick, which he throws intended for Terry Godwin, is near the goal line, a, a deep ball. He's got a clean pocket when he decides to throw it. Godwin apparently did the wrong thing by cutting in, but he didn't make that cut until after the ball was in the air. So Woodside was throwing it to that spot. It's a terrible throw. It had no loft on it to give Godwin a chance to go make a play on it. He was tightly covered. Awful throw. Mason Kinsey, he threw a ball uh, that was a very contested catch across the middle where a DB 
got his hand in it, popped it up to another DB who caught it. And then another really bad play, a similar throw to the throw to Godwin, where he had Traylon Burks one-on-one with a scrub-ranking quarterback in the fourth quarter where, you know, it was clear it was going to be a, like, you get it or nobody gets it situation. Yeah, This is a dream scenario, right? You're going to yeah. get to throw a touchdown here to a premier, you know, first-round pick with a big size advantage. Throw it up there. Put some loft on it. Let him go get it. Again, a flat ball with no real chance. I thought Woodside looked like crap last night. And they were making a lot of excuses for him about the pressure. I asked Vrabel today, if he comes into a game for, for Tannehill, isn't he going to face pressure? Isn't he going to have to deal with the pressure? So I, I thought it was a very uninspiring quarterback night for the Titans. And the Ravens have a big thing for winning preseason games. That was their 21st in a row. Which is a weird stat. Dating back to like 2017 or something. 2016 or 2015, I, I think. Yeah, it's, it's gone on for a while. Um, Logan Woodside, I'll be very blunt about this. If he has to go into a game for any length of time because Tannehill's out, the Titans are losing that game. He is not a good quarterback. He may know the offense. He looks terrible. I, I refuse to believe that, first off, Malik Willis should win the, that job. I don't know that he will, but from an ability standpoint, Malik Willis, if he can learn the playbook and develop, should be the number two option. Um, I also think there was a lot of overreaction last night to, oh, well, now clearly Willis will be the backup. You know, when they watch Woodside well, play. Well, played thinking, with better players, for starters. The well, guy who starts that game has a big advantage over the guy who finishes it. I'm also thinking, look, this guy is a cockroach in that he's not going to die easily either. He's liked by the coaches. He's liked in that room. He knows the offense, obviously. He studies real hard. So Logan Woodside may still very well be the backup throughout the year, but I just watch him play, Paul, and I'm thinking, this is the best backup option? There aren't other guys you could go that are undrafted free agents that have more ability than Logan Woodside. It's very odd. Vrabel makes it sound like, you know, today when I asked that question, he's like, you know, he's shown command in the past. Last night wasn't great, but I'm sure he'll get back to it. I I just don't recall him showing some great command of the offense in the past. Like, and even if he has, like, mental command of the offense, doesn't the, the throwing at some point overtake the command of the offense if you can't complete passes if you can't deal with the pressure I don't care what your mental command of the offense is Uh, I I think it's a practice convenience it helps you in practice that you know the offense very well but um, I'm gonna need to see a lot better uh, in the in the next two games and uh, you know Vrabel said yeah that's a that's a competition for the second spot Um, and there's roster complications there if you if you keep three so I would think, you know, again, the difference is if you come into a game to relieve Tannehill, I think Malik Willis could be fine there with a limited ask, you know. Read half a field with two guys and then take off, hand off to Derrick Henry a lot before that. It's the preparing for four games if Ryan Tannehill's out that would be, I think, a bigger struggle for Malik Willis even with the pared-down playbook. And I think they think right now that Woodside could do more given those circumstances. So I think a lot of us have reason to doubt it. It would be a big ask of either of them. Yeah, it's – 
Look, I, I first off, anytime I get into the second half of this preseason games, I'm always thinking, why am I watching oh, this? So painful. Why am I? Why am I doing this? And even watching, but Charles Davis, who I who I love, and Dan Helley, who do a really good job, Corey Curtis, they do the best they can with these games. But it's almost painful for me to watch them have to call these games when they get in the second well, half at times. They're also obligated to tell you that everybody that they discuss has been doing really well in camp. So I like those guys, but I wish they had a little more latitude to say, you know, actually this guy hadn't done a damn thing so far. Yeah. So it, it's impressive, uh, you know, that we're You're seeing You're definitely going to get the positive here. slant at all times with team paid for announcers yeah. in this setting for a preseason game. But it's far better than it used to be uh, that they hire two outside pros and have Corey on the sideline. It, it's nice. Corey and Dan sound too much alike to me. So once in a while, I don't know who's talking. I need uh, one of them. that uh, Corey needs to put on a fake voice. Well, they really put him, implement him in the broadcast from the sideline. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's kind of a third analyst. Yeah, yeah. So they, they do a good job of going to him. Um, Paul, you asked Mike Vrabel a question today about Tom Brady, and he didn't want to talk about Tom Brady. Is that correct? Yeah, I just asked him. and I mean, it's a nothing question, but, you know, he and Tom Brady are very close friends, and uh, it's been fun to watch them interact the last couple of years as the Titans practiced with the Patriots in his last year, and they practiced with the Bucs, um, I think, two years in a row. Um, and the Bucks are coming to town for practices Wednesday and Thursday, and then for a game Saturday night. Brady, with his 10 days away, is obviously not going to be in Nashville. So at the end of the press conference, I said, you know, are you kind of disappointed that Tom won't be here? And he said, I'm worried about the Titans, turned into Belichick. And I said, you know, the Titans are practicing with the Bucks on Wednesday and Thursday. So it makes it Speaking kind of Speaking of those Titans that Titans you're worried about. Thing. And then he just gave me the glare. And then an instigator on uh, – on Twitter says, did anybody ever get more silent answers from Vrabel and Kuharski? And I said, if you actually count it out, it evens out. Ask the press. We all get them sometimes. And that wasn't like me asking the hard question. That was me asking a fluff question. And to their credit, the rest of the media corps all chimed in and said, happens to me, happens to me, happens to me, happens to me. Vrabel, if he's not in the mood for your question... We'll give you a shutdown and a glare. And quite frankly, if you don't get that, what the hell are you doing out there? Well, a good point. But also, you mentioned Belichick. He had a very interesting exchange with a reporter asking about the process to decide who's going to call plays. We'll talk about that a little bit later also. And he just said it's a process. The process. And the reporter did a good job asking follow-up questions to get to the bottom of what that process looks like. And Belichick was not going there. We're going to Austin Price of AllQuest.com next.